You're listening to The Inside Scoop with Novell. Welcome to The Inside Scoop with Novell. I'm Dr. Rita Simmons, retired Navy captain, medical researcher, and Novell founder and senior consultant. This is the fourth episode in our series about maintaining and growing your business during the pandemic. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of doing a digital detox during this time of remote work, which has been compounded with self-isolation. To help me explore this topic, my guest today is Dr. Joseph Chandler. He's Associate Professor of Psychology at Birmingham Southern College. Uh, Dr. Chandler has 12 years of experience as a researcher in applied human performance psychology in military and operational uh, settings, and more recently as Professor Teaching Neuro and Cognitive Psychology. Well, Dr. Chandler, welcome to the Inside Scoop. Thank you very much for having me. Well, today's topic on digital overload uh, for me, uh, somebody who has been working at home for the past almost three years now, is an important subject. And so whether we're talking about uh, a public health crisis or for people who simply work at home on a regular basis, um, I think uh, they're going to find this information critical. Um, I do believe everybody knows that people have moved much of their daily lives, their activities, social interactions to various online venues. Uh, While most people... I think they're very comfortable with all this connectedness. Uh, They say they thrive on it, but experts are pointing out how all the digital interference in our lives and this constant feedback uh, has changed us physiologically. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dr. Chandler, before we talk about how this 24 seven digital connectedness of the pandemic is affecting us, maybe you could walk us through some of the changes to the digital stress that people regularly experience and why you suggest a digital detox under these normal circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. So you make a lot of good points there about how all of us are experiencing this right now. It's a common thing. And for some of us, I think like you, Dr. Simmons, you've been doing remote work for a long time. And so the adjustment period may be different depending on circumstances, but Under normal circumstances, the first thing we have to understand is that electronic communication design and social media, they are designed to be addictive. We have specific social engineering going on here. And the kind of crude analogy that I like to use is if you think about a rat in a Skinner box in a classic psychology experiment where they have to press a bar to get a little pellet of food, Swiping down to refresh on our phones is essentially the same thing, and that is not a mistake. Uh, There are folks who are paid to engineer these things so that we get a little hit of reward circuit dopamine every time we do that. The physiological changes that you were talking about really come in the reward centers of the brain, some very, very old structures. Uh, One example here is what's called the ventral tegmental area, which when we look at the reward response to someone who's anticipating, say, taking a hit of cocaine, uh, and the same area in taking uh, a refresh down for one of their beloved social media channels, the activation pattern is almost indistinguishable. Uh, So the magnitude's different, obviously, but it's testing the same areas of the brain. 
And even past that, uh, we know that our high definition screens have a huge impact on our sleep. So moving beyond the fact that these are designed to get us to use them all the time, uh, they're also uh, designed to keep us awake. So high definition screens put out a medium wavelength of light, blue light that mimics the afternoon sun. So uh, I like to tell my students that when they're looking at their iPhone or their computer screen or whatever it is, what have you at night and watching Netflix over and over and over again, uh, they're actually having a, a tiny blazing sun facing right there close to their, close to their eyes and basically desynchronizing your circadian rhythm. Uh, and then I mentioned watching over and over and over again. There's another example, autoplay, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, all of the streaming services uh, have an autoplay feature that is designed to hook you and keep you watching. Now, of course, that's good business practice, but it's not good for us unless we understand exactly what it's doing to us. Now, in terms of our, even our daily lives as uh, productive members of sort of a digital workforce, checking email, uh, planning to plan. These can be kind of traps or illusions of online productivity that keep you in a loop. Uh, you know, you might read a, a book here or there that says, don't, you know, don't check your email first thing in the morning or you're never going to get anything done on your to-do list because it feels so satisfying to send that back. This expectation of passive communication and sort of being always available is also there with us. And sort of the last bit of it that I like to, to tell people under normal, normal circumstances is that there is sort of a sense of digital FOMO, the fear of missing out, where you post something and you're wondering how many people have liked it, how many people have seen it. Uh, you send a text message and you wonder why your friend hasn't automatically responded. This constant uh, plug-in nature of our lives really is sort of like having someone sitting on your shoulder all the time, access 24-7 that we need to learn to control. I don't necessarily say good or bad, but just understanding what it does to us and then being a responsible consumer of these products. And I would think most people have um, at least partly realized that in their personal lives, as you mentioned with Facebook, Twitter, uh, text notifications, uh, I would think that reaction and that feedback that they uh, desire, and like you said, if they don't receive, more than likely at points along, uh, along the way, maybe they've noticed that, uh, as you say, kind of that surge of reward and that feeling they get with that. Uh, it's, I think it's interesting to see how the mind and body is connected. And as we provide more of this response uh, and we add in the work, which adds more response where it may be emails from work, calls from work that now uh, comes into our home and into our lives at times, maybe where it didn't previously. I, I can see how that does become uh, overloading and taxing on the system and it can cause distress for people who may not have learned to handle that. And in one of our first uh, podcast episodes, we did talk about these uh, interruptions in your day and your schedule as you're learning to work from home. So I, I find it interesting that these, uh, this reward system is continuing to reinforce uh, these concepts. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a real addiction. Um, it looks like the same pattern of addiction to any external substance. And 
you know, it's not really about villainizing or cutting it out. Uh, it's, it's necessary and it's the way we live now, but like any powerful tool, it's just getting smart enough on the subject to use it instead of letting it use you. Right. And that, that was a great overview that you just presented, uh, I think, to our listeners. And with our daily lives already being full of this digital stress uh, prior to this public health crisis, which, again, I think people are um, trying to learn how to, how to handle everything that's going on around them uh, at home. How do you see digital overload affecting people now that they work from home and mm-hmm. then they try to switch from home life back to work life and then from work life back to home life? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, work-life balance is difficult under the best of circumstances, even when you have physical markers. Uh, and now suddenly everything is online. Um, you know, the other day, I spent seven hours on my computer with barely any breaks. And my Fitbit told me I hardly moved. And I believe it. And all of it felt required. Part of this, especially the illusion of email and passive communication productivity comes from the fact that we end up tasking each other, perhaps with more than we would if we were in a face-to-face setting. Uh, If you mix that in with the fact that digital distractions are now at our fingertips all the time, literally mixed in with our work and socializing, uh, the lines become even more blurred. Um, That same day, you know, you talk about going to doctor's appointments working out now you know, my gym has switched to Instagram live. And so I've got to get on the phone to go to the gym, keep up with my social groups, chat with friends. Um, I think that seven hour day came through with a zoom session with friends from church, uh, live workout on Instagram, video chats with my students, teaching class, zoom meetings with my grants office staff, and then a telemedicine checkup with my primary care provider. And I almost felt like the movie WALL-E, like I never had to get out of the chair, you know. Um, So it just becomes that much more critical to give yourself very firm lines and very firm distinctions and to take structured breaks. Yeah, I I can see that's critical. And I also, uh, from your description earlier, could see how that may be challenging for people to do. Uh, it may feel less and less natural to pull yourself away from these online resources. And as you say, as they move things um, online, every, you're, you're correct, everything has moved online since we can't get out and do face-to-face interactions with people during this pandemic uh, in order to stay safe. Uh, it, there are no lines any longer, it seems to me, that everything has just become virtual and people are tied to their uh, computers uh, from all this on, online and then connectedness, I, I've been reading some research. And from that research, uh, I say that scientists are finding that the brain changes are structural and neurochemical mm-hmm. and that these changes may become long term if we don't realize the addiction to our, our electronic devices and that being constantly engaged and seeking that next fix. So, um this, this current crisis, besides this already being problematic, the current crisis certainly has not helped people disconnect and take downtime. So what would you recommend to help people counteract this digital stress and overload that they're feeling under the current situation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you have to think in terms of 
adaptation and reframing and being uh, part of this is the development of a new habit of time and space just for yourself. And you're not going to succeed the first time, the second time, the third time. You have to build it in like any other self-care habit. Um, and this is crucial now, perhaps more than ever. The first thing you should do is make an appointment with yourself away from tech. Uh, pick a favorite offline hobby. And your best bet from the research in terms of coping is exercise. I just mentioned exercising online. This is getting outside if you can, away from any kind of tech. Even if you go out for a run and you're used to tracking it and tracking your pace, leave your iPhone behind, get out, get a run, um, and you will feel much better. And the only way that's going to happen is if you schedule it. So if you're keeping an online calendar and you've got somebody looping you into meetings, literally put on there that you're in a meeting at that time. You're in a meeting with yourself. That's going to make you better at everything else. Now, another. Yeah, oh, I, think that, well, I think that's a great suggestion because as I, I try to make this a practice of my own and mm -hmm. leaving all my technology at home and uh, whether it's taking the dogs for a walk or just going out. And uh, we live in a beautiful area here in the Seattle area and getting to see the water in the mountains, I think is uh, it's great downtime. But what I see other people people doing during that time period is as you're saying talking on the phone connecting mapping their runs and mm -hmm. still holding on to that connectedness even when they're out in nature uh and doing their exercise so i i can understand how challenging this might be but uh, i certainly agree with you that um having that break uh, from the online activities I would think allows the brain to be able to have a period or a moment in time to recover and reset and maybe relook at priorities um, before it would re-engage in those activities again. Absolutely. And the, you know, you mentioned in terms of recovering and resetting the physiological response to exercise is a dopaminergic response, the same as it is to all of these social media and electronically mediated um, uh, platforms that we've been talking about. So you are replacing, you are retraining your brain that that pleasure can come from something else and that it can come from something that is not just good for you on uh, that neurophysiological level, but is good for you on a cardiovascular level, on an emotional level. Um, you're right. You know, just getting outside isn't enough. You've got to leave the technology behind. Yeah, there's some people who maybe uh, exercise is, is not their thing. Um, I'm sure there are other ways that, uh, that people can engage in activities to help do that reset as well. Yes. Read a book. Play with your kids. Play with your pets. Um, pick your favorite offline hobby and engage in it. And if you don't have any offline hobbies, like several of us uh, may not, then it's maybe use your phone to do a little research first, use it as a springboard, and then go from there. Great. Um, so what about trying to reframe, as you mentioned, adapt and reframe uh, some of the adaptation being exercise and disconnecting, but what about reframing as, as those neurophysical, neuropsychological uh, responses happen, we do have to help our brains move back 
uh, into, I guess, a more normal physiologic state. So mm-hmm. what are some of the ways to be able to, to make the reframing process happen? So one of the most direct ways to do, to do this, to combat digital addiction and the impact of too much screen time is through mindfulness meditation. Now, mindfulness meditation is one of those vogue terms. So there are a lot of unsubstantiated techniques out there. Um, Some people may think that it has to be magical or mystical or tied to a particular religious background. It does not. There is a core line of really good empirical research on how um, mindfulness meditation, when done properly, literally combats the negative neurophysiological changes uh, associated with digital addiction. It's a direct parry. So first, many digital platforms teach us impatience, a now, now, now kind of mentality. And this is true, again, down to the neuronal changes that underlie our attention. Mindfulness meditation literally trains our brains in the opposite way. It trains, physically trains, patients by creating new neural networks that do not rely primarily on dopaminergic responses. Um, Many digital platforms are also about instant judgment, not just now, 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 but also commentary. Again, now this creates long lasting habits down to the neuron. Uh, Mindfulness meditation trains our brains to observe without judgment, to sit beside our judgment-based thoughts and take a little more time to evaluate it. And many digital platforms, especially during the pandemic, are fodder for fear, and they encourage one-way emotional coping, right? So blasting things out into an echo chamber on Facebook, while that can be healthy, uh, it can also come back to bite you if all you hear are the things that you put out there in the first place. Mindfulness meditation teaches us to sit with our emotions, not to deny them, and not actually to try to actively cope with them, but just to sit with them observe their repercussions before they happen and act accordingly. And what I like to say to people is that mindfulness meditation is a free, readily available digital detox medicine that anyone can practice regardless of their skill or experience starting right now. Yeah, that's great. I know it's um, in this digital age that we are living in and the overload, I think uh, while you're, you are correct, the my, practice of mindfulness uh, has been out in the news and it's gained popularity. I think it is a concept that is hard for people to grab onto. It is the antithesis to how they're living their lives mm-hmm. and how most people live their lives currently. And now with the pandemic on top, I think it probably feels like it's totally out of the grasp of most people to, that they would be able to sit and practice, as you say, detaching from things, noticing the world around them, being mindful of the present moment, and being able to hold on to your feelings, as you say, not with judgment, but being able to just analyze how you're feeling and then um, develop some thoughts within your mind of yourself and not what the news or or other things may be telling you. Mm -hmm. So um, how might, I mean, with that in mind, And we also understand that mindfulness and meditation are stress reduction techniques, right? And most people are somewhat familiar. But to to be more concrete, how might you recommend that people get started in doing something like mindfulness meditation? Sure. So 
what I generally recommend is starting on what's called a basic on the breath progression with three minutes and then building maybe a minute a day toward 10 minutes. Once you get to 10 minutes comfortably, then practicing 10 minutes a day, that is where the empirical research line is. Generally, 10 minutes a day for most days tends to uh, happen uh, with the, the effects that we've been talking about. So uh, if you don't mind, I, I could take us through one right now. Absolutely. Let's try it. Okay, great. So uh, if you're listening, you want to start uh, in a chair. You don't have to sit with your legs crossed. You shouldn't lay down because you'll fall asleep. You want to be in a chair uh, with a back. Sit down comfortably so that your feet are in line. Your heels are in line with your knees, firmly planted in the ground. Scoot your hips back all the way to the back of the chair. Sit up straight and pull your back slightly away from the resting area of the chair. Roll your shoulders back and pretend that someone is picking up your head by a string, pulling up and lengthening your spine. This is going to allow your diaphragm to relax, which is going to allow you to breathe the proper way. Most of us breathe uh, through chest-owned breathing. Uh, when you breathe, really, your stomach and your chest should both rise as an indication of your diaphragm fully expanding and letting your lungs do their work most efficiently. So again, we're going to be sitting comfortably in a chair, feet planted firmly on the ground, hips back, shoulders rolled back, spine lengthened, and allowing your stomach to expand as you breathe. Now your only job is going to be to give your full attention to your breath. You are not trying to empty your head you are not trying to go blank. You are simply trying to follow your breath as it naturally occurs. So we'll start with just three deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth to hyperoxygenate our blood. If we go in through the nose and out through the mouth, you do that three times. And then Gently close your eyes and settle down into your hips and let your breathing return to normal. You can start by counting your breath. One for the in-breath, two for the out-breath, three for the in-breath, four for the out-breath, and so on until you reach 10. And then when you get to 10, start again at one. Thoughts are gonna come and go. Your job is not to judge them. Your job is to recognize them. Oh, that's a thought. And then let it go. If you feel an emotion, note it that way. Say, oh, that's an emotion. And then let it go. The key here is to come back to the breath as your only job. And you are going to slide and your attention is going to move around. Remember, this is like exercise where we're training our brains. So you don't start off being able to bench 350, right? You've got to start where you are. You might stay distracted the whole time. That's okay. Gently and kindly bring yourself back to the breath. You do that for three minutes and you have already started fighting the neurophysiological changes, the negative neurophysiological changes associated with digital addiction. And if you get up to that 10 minute a day 
marker, just 10 minutes a day with no judgment. Some days are going to be great. Some days are going to be bad, just like taking on any other behavioral change. The key is to do it consistently and to get back on the horse when you fall. Do you have recommendations on the type of setting uh, people use for their meditation? Yes. The only key is that you're not going to be disturbed. Now, as someone, as a, as a father of two young children in a small little house in one of those neighborhoods that you buy into for the school district, that can be a challenge. For me, I have to meditate before my kids get out of bed in the morning. So that's part of the dedication is finding a place where you're not going to be disturbed for those 10 minutes. Besides that, anywhere you're comfortable. I love meditating outside, but I like to get outside as much as I can. But that's not critical. Just anywhere where you're not going to be disturbed during that time. Well, that's fantastic. I think everybody has three minutes in their day that they can devote to self-care and really make sure they come out of this pandemic mentally healthy, physically recharged, and ready to face mm-hmm. whatever uh, society is going to look like uh, you know, on the other side of this. Uh, we will uh, get from Dr. Chandler some resources and we'll also post some other information on our website so people can um, be able to look at some of these techniques and be able to incorporate them into their lives. Uh, I really appreciate you giving us your insights on digital detox and how to counteract some of the negative consequences that people may be experiencing during this stressful time. But if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, how could they reach you? Absolutely. So they can find me at Joseph Chandler on LinkedIn, or uh, they can search for my faculty profile on www.bsc, as in Birmingham Southern College, edu. Fantastic. That's Joseph Chandler on LinkedIn or www.bsc.edu. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Chandler. And we will add his contact information to the episode notes. Uh, if you found this material helpful, please subscribe to future episodes and check out our website and social media for more information at Novell Online. Remember, we're all in this together, so stay safe.